You're what up, Fresh Era listeners? It's me, your host, Craig Smith. We hope everybody's having an amazing 2023 so far. Things are definitely picking up around here as we're set to premiere our new show, Gold Rush, a show about hip hop culture in the 90s, hosted by my man, Sean Kantrowitz. And we're bringing you The Refresh, where I'm having conversations with members of the hip hop community from the 90s and beyond. Now, as Black History Month rolls in, we wanted to rewind the clocks back to our first season of Fresh Era and bring you the story of Grand Pooba. If you haven't heard his story, yet you're in for a treat now as this episode gets rolling remember to go on to whatever you're listening to this on and subscribe to gold rush gold rush premieres february 7th now enjoy the show stupid fly and the baggage claim at, at uh, kennedy and sh- andy hilfiger approached me like hey hey grand Puma? I'm like yeah you know like, how you doing my name is andy andy hilfiger i was like oh, okay he said, this is my brother Tommy. And I was like, oh, shit, all right, what's happening, yo? Here it comes. Hey, here it comes. You're listening to Fresh Era, where we tell stories of the legends from the golden era of hip-hop. Each episode, we bring you stories from the pioneers themselves as we dive deep into their lives, their struggles, and what it was like to be a part of the most popular form of music before it was mainstream. I'm your host, Craig Smith. When you walk through any list of legendary hip-hop acts from the golden era, you're bound to come across some key figures. Everyone from LL Cool J to Big Daddy Kane, Common, Ice Cube, and everyone in between. One name that is sure to make the list every time is Grand Pooba. He is widely regarded as one of the first few rappers to successfully fuse black consciousness with dope gear and street etiquette. Along with his crew, Brand Nubian, he amassed a worldwide following and collaborated with Icon. Some would say that he helped shape the genre and the culture, but his road to hip-hop royalty wasn't easy, and along the way, he would need to rebuild more than once. So let's take a journey through the life and career of Maxwell Dixon, better known as Grand Pooba. Grand Pooba was born in 1964 in an area just north of the Bronx. New Rochelle, New York's where I'm from. Throughout the 60s and 70s, his family lived in government project housing, and his experience was one that a lot of black and brown people in big cities could relate to. Same thing that goes on in every other project, you know, like that same environment. You got um, just a bunch of people who trying to keep their head above water like good times, you know what I mean? People who work hard every day, you had the players, the pimps, the pushers, the drug dealers, the drug addicts, you know, and you had to just pick a path. You know, it's like a 50-50 chance. Like some made it out, some didn't, you know. And given the environment in which he lived, family was incredibly important. Yeah, I had a brother, a sister, my mom's work. My pop, she was there for a short minute. Then he, um, he went away for a while. Then when he came back, him and my mother separated. So it was basically my mom's, but my family, I have a huge family. So I had cousins all over the place, uncles, aunts, you know what I mean? So even though he wasn't there, he was there. The presence of family who could help guide and protect him was crucial during this time. That's why I said that was the era and the height of the heron and the dope fiends and the pimps, the pushers. I seen it all, like, you know? See, when you're that young and you're seeing that, you don't, you adapt to it and you, you see it as a part of your culture, whether it be bad, but when you're used to seeing it, you see the fiends every day and you, you're not really, it's not really registering like, this is really a terrible thing. Like, you know, a, as you get older, you start to realize this is a condition that was put upon us, you know, and that drugs was put in our community to do damage. Like, it's hard to separate this time in black history from the reality of the drug epidemic. Heroin had begun ravaging communities and cocaine, particularly rock cocaine, a.k.a. crack, was about to create more addicts and more pushers. 
On top of that, in 1971, President Richard Nixon took a public health emergency and turned it into a crime emergency. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. In order to fight and defeat this enemy, it is necessary to wage a new all-out offensive. That all-out offensive is the ongoing war on drugs, which placed so many black men and women in prison, the U.S. became the world's largest jailer. And for communities like Grand Pubas, there was a movement to counteract the effects of systematic racism and oppression centered around black culture, black history. We was taught who we were at a young age, and we kind of grew up in that movement, that whole black liberation movement. You know, my family was brought up into that. We had classes on Saturdays in the basement of in the projects, you know, that taught us our history from um, a bunch of good brothers and my family as well. So I kind of had that balance. Like, you know, we had the street life and then we also had our cultural history. So that kind of balanced me out, you know. But as a kid, you, you're still living your kid life. You're still playing ball. You're still having fun. You still... So when you see, like, an addict or a fiend or a wino, you... You look at it and you say, oh man, that's kind of whack, or it might be funny to you as a kid. You don't really un fully understand it, you know, until you get older. And the reason why I do say that, I want to say, is because even like, say if me and my friends, we're walking down the avenue, one of us is cursing, a fiend will literally stop in his tracks, hey, little, little, little Dixon boy, I hear you, don't make me tell your father. Even though they were fiends or winos, they always corrected you, like they, you know what I mean? You, you still have respect for them, even though they were going through what they were going through. And throughout the 70s, that reality, coupled with the underdeveloped state of black neighborhoods throughout the Bronx and other areas north of Manhattan, birthed the movement. DJs started throwing parties out in the open, calling them jams and providing a place for hip-hop to be cultivated. Young Grand Pooba saw it firsthand. I want to say 78, 79. There's a guy by the name of... DST. He would eventually be known as Grand Mixer DXT. It was from Edenwall Projects. Um, we used to have jams at the boys club where I used to play ball at. They used to have parties there. And he was like one of the first guys to come in playing hip hop, break beats, and then the break dancing, and et cetera. That's where I first experienced it. It was dope. It was, that was a new culture. Like it was, it was exciting. I definitely participated in that. I was a break dancer, b-boy, whatever you want to call it, you know. I gravitated to it immediately, like, you know, something I wanted to do. In order to win over people, you had to be nice and you had to, you know what I mean? They had to accept you. It was showmanship, skills, you know, it was an art. It was something that you had to be around in order to participate and understand it. The environment attracted him, and there was a pull to become great at it. Many people would force it, but for Grand Pooba, it was all... Instinct. Seeing how the game worked and everything like that as far as DJ and MC, and it was just attractive. It was appealing. It was fun. And I always loved music, so it's a no-brainer, like, you know? Once I started hearing MCs rap and all that, it was just something I wanted to do from the gate. I used to DJ, do parties. I was a neighborhood. DJ dude, like, used to bring my stuff outside in the projects, Lincoln Park. I was performing, like like I said, before wax. Like, go to parties and I get on the mic and we just shut down the, the, the party. And these jams would get recorded onto cassette tapes and distributed to the neighborhood. Kind of got a name from just rocking tapes, cassettes, and all that. 
in the town before I even got into the game. So it started like how the, the forefathers started it. Grand Pooba had a buzz that spanned the hip-hop spectrum. He was a DJ and B-boy, but he was also staying true to a hip-hop cornerstone that predated the music, the fashion. Me and my niggas from the Jets, we used to fly ass niggas in the town. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that, it was kind of easy, like, because it started in the hood first, and then it spreads abroad. Like, whatever was fly, we had it. We was on top of our game. We can go back to pro kids if you want to. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That fly shit came. It didn't come when the game came. That's what we did from the gate, like, you know? We was cleaning joints with toothbrush and all that. And this was nothing new. Through Reconstruction, the Great Migration, the Harlem Renaissance, jazz, disco, sports, politics, and even the drug game, it was important to be fly if you were going to be somebody. But our generation, when we got it from the older cast, we just took it. We, we just went to a whole nother level. And I think that is because, like, you know, rap came about and all that other. But, but we learned from the home, the, the OGs, man. From his childhood in the 70s to the mid-80s, the grand poobah we've all come to know was defined. The fashion, DJing, and MCing kept his name buzzing all around town. This buzz would assist the transition from neighborhood notoriety to national recognition. That process would begin with a close friend. One of my OGs is a boxer. His name was Lamont Brickle. He was training. He had a he had a manager named Milton Lacroix, and um, he said, "Yo, I'm trying to start a, 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 a rap label. I need some rappers or MCs. Yo, you know anybody?" And my man was like, "Yo, you need to go to the projects. I got my man over there. He's like one of the nicest niggas around here. You know, blah 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 blah." Lamont introduced me to Milton. The label was called M Low Records, named after the founder himself. With this introduction, Milton Lacroix wanted to pair Grand Pooba with the musical prodigy from Harlem. He was a young man who would go on to produce for countless artists, create the groups Guy and Blackstreet, and invent New Jack Swing. This kid's name was Teddy Riley. They linked up to produce songs for a group called Masters of Ceremony, which included Grand Pooba, his cousin Doctor Who, DJ Shabazz, and several dancers. In 1985, they released their debut, Crime. Crime is the problem and the trouble is solving as the rate gets great and the world keeps evolving. Then in 1986, they released two new singles produced by Grand Pooba and Strong Island founder Jazzy J. They released the song Sexy. And the fun that we was having had only began. Then you said, I'm not going for it this evening if you want to play games with Grand Pooba Maxwell. Then they released Cracked Out. Sexy was the biggest song, especially in New York. That shit was on the radio like 10 times a day. Cracked Out was one song, like, was on the mix shows, Red Alert, everybody, all day, all night. And they didn't add that to rotation because they said at that time, we're not playing no records on the radio that have the word crack in it. Nonetheless, Masters of Ceremony was a regional hit. But due to the limited reach of their small record label at the time, it didn't take off fast enough. Other brothers was getting discouraged because I don't I don't know. Like like I said, I live and bleed this. Like I was in the streets, I fought the wars, I'm battling, like I'm with my my homies all of that. I'm all the way in, ride or die. Like, you know what I'm saying? I don't think it was embedded in them to that degree as it was for me. Like, you know what I'm saying? This was all or nothing with me, like, you know what I mean? It got to that point. And I knew I could live doing this, you know, and I knew I had something to say, and I knew I could have an effect on the world. So I seen it different. Like, I'm willing, sometimes you got to be willing to sacrifice, lose it all, and stuff you believe, you know what I mean? That willingness to go all in would soon pay off again and again. 
His group hadn't worked out, but he was still a young, talented rapper and producer, and he was hungry. It wouldn't take long until he was given a new opportunity to cultivate a sound which would lead to classic albums and timeless collaborations. Coming up, the formation of Brand Nubian and their rise to success. Then, Grand Pooba goes out on his own and attempts to do it all over again. Peace, it's the one and only two real and be a phony, the real McCoy, Grand Pooba. Did you know the guys over at Stupefly are doing it strictly out of love for 90s hip hop culture? They make it sound easy, but lots of time and money is spent on creating, writing, mixing these episodes. If you like what you hear, please do me a favor. Go to stupid-fly.com and pick up some merch to show your support. Then follow on Instagram and Facebook at Stupidfly Media. Also, if you haven't done so already, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Hit the subscribe button anywhere. Thank you for supporting our community of golden era gladiators. Peace. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Grand Pooba took to hip-hop naturally, from b-boying and DJing to beating on tables rapping. He was forming his image based on his upbringing in the projects and the music that had laid the foundation. I listened to like everybody, like from Breakout to Cold Crush to Furious Five to those were inspirations, you know what I mean? Because that they showed me the game, like, you know. And with that inspiration, he honed his craft on the mic and behind the boards to create a name in New York. This led to him releasing three singles by 1986 with his crew, Masters of Ceremony. This would set the New Rochelle crew up for their 1988 debut album, Dynamite. Banging on tabletops in New The album wasn't a huge success, and the group disbanded. A lot of times, this is where people stall out or retreat, thinking it wasn't worth all the effort of creating an album, getting signed, and releasing it to the world if it could all just go away. But Grand Pooba had a hustler spirit and was hip-hop through and through. He didn't know it yet, but he was about to stumble across his first big success. 
Very soon after Masters of Ceremony broke up, he met a guy we now know as Lord Jamar. Somebody went and got him because my turntable broke, and they said they knew someone who had one, and it happened to be Lord Jamar. And Lord Jamar knew another guy called Derek X, who would eventually change his name to Sadat X. I didn't know them, but they knew of me. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, we was already known in the town. They were really showing interest in the music, like, at that time. Like, they played some stuff for me with, with Sadat, and... I was doing some stuff with Jamal, so I just started producing both of them, like, you know? Because they had some stuff that was, was pretty good. It was good. Grand Pooba was impressed with the two MCs' potential enough to commit his time toward producing each as solo artists to get them signed to a deal. And at that point, Grand Pooba was already being courted by labels for a solo contract. I had this guy who wanted to sign me named Dante Ross. Dante Ross had worked as an A&R at Tommy Boy Records, where he had a proven track record with acts like De La Soul, Queen Latifah, and Digital Underground. Ross was just getting started at Electra Records, where he saw something great in Grand Pooba. He's like, I want to sign you, don't sign nobody. So I said, you know what? This dude wants to sign me. I'm going to get y'all in. He came up with a non-zero-sum scenario wherein he could be signed and bring Lord Jamar, Sadat X, and their DJ at the time, DJ Alamo, along for the ride. He proposed they start a group. I just told him, you want to sign me? You got to sign them. Let's do it. You know, and that's how, you know, Brand Nubian. Me and Jamar came up with the name up at uh, the mall up in New Rochelle. Sat outside the mall and came up with a name. And And they were now going to create an album. It's worth noting the growth that happens at this point as Pooba goes from Masters of Ceremony, a group with B-Boy swag, to Brand Nubian's powerful, unapologetically black, conscious, but yet stylish presence. A lot of that was based on inspiration from the 5% Nation. And then my upbringing with the BLA, Black Panthers. So I just felt that, that that should be a balance of what we do and bring something different to the game. I was fly back then, but I knew how to bring the consciousness and mix it with the flyness. So all the fly niggas want to hear the consciousness, you know what I mean? And all the conscious niggas want to be fly, basically, you know what I'm saying? That's, that was my objective. So, you know, like, you could be swagged out. Dapper Dan, Louis Vuitton out, talking about, you know, black man is God and, you know what I mean? I'm not saying everything has to be conscious, but I think everything has to be balanced. Like, you know what I'm saying? You had the South rap, but then you had the conscious rap, then you had NWA, had the gangster shit. You had a mixture, you know what I'm saying? Sort of like life. Like, you get to choose and decide what path you want to go down. And he made sure that when it came to Brand Nubian, the path that they chose would be authentic, informative, and cool. They began work on what would become their debut album, One For All, and Brand Nubian did not hold back. Lord Jamar and Sadat X would shine on this album, but it was hard not to notice Grand Pooba's presence on the album as he appeared solo on several records. I knew I had that capability, and I and I was buzzing at that time. They made it a classic album by me doing that. If I, I did it any different, who knows how it would have turned out. You know what I'm saying? So I was basically going off an of instance and pulse, like uh, how I needed to steer this album. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't me trying to be on all a lot of different songs with, with, with not them on it, just to be on it to, you know what I'm saying? For any other purpose than making sure that this record does what it needs to do. Like, the album One for All would generate several singles, including a record which coincided with the title of the album. Grand Pooba produced a track called All For One, and the creation of this record was special. Before we had the beat, I wrote, that's the, like one of the only songs I had to rhyme before I had the track. I remember writing that rhyme in my girlfriend's house. And then um, at my other girlfriend's house, <laughs> I found 
that sample in her mother's closet. It's a James Brown record. But the break on it was so short. And that was it. Like, what I did, I took the back piece of the sample and put it in the front. So that's what gave it that bam, bam. Quick to toast an MC just like an English muffin. Don't worry about a thing because the food was never bluffing. That's my favorite record still to this day. That's the hardest record on that shit to be. If you're on the beat wise, the, the rhythm, the sound, the melody, the flows, the rhymes. All of them songs are like equivalent. Like I think Slow Down was more the commercial success. Slow Down, that came together with Sadat. Brought that Edie Bacall record to the studio. DJ Alamo, he had uh, Ohio Players record. Where he got the drum beat from. It was a slow beat, but he put the record on 45 and it boom, 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 boom. And then I came up with the hook. X's girlfriend at the time was in the studio. I just had to go in there and just say, slow down, you know. But the concept of the record was, you know, like people moving fast, you know, on the drugs and doing anything for money. You're living fast. Now see, it ain't no reason for you to be out here skeezing. It took almost a year for people to catch on, too. <laughs> like, that's why we have five singles. But once people caught on, the success was unmistakable. As radio kept spinning their records, more people bought albums, sending Brand Nubian to Billboard Top 200. They also received a rare and coveted honor as their debut album, One For All, was given the highest rating possible in the Source magazine, Five Mics. Niggas was riding up and down, 7-5, Lennox Ave, Lincoln Ave, wherever Ave you from, Jamaica Ave, like, playing the whole album. Like, one car, then another car, then this one coming this way, one coming that way. Like, and that's when I knew, it was like, oh yeah, this is about to be a fire. Their single, Slow Down, hit number three on the U.S. Hot Rap Singles chart, and their message was being felt everywhere. Along with other hip-hop acts who stood for black identity, like De La Soul, Queen Latifah, and A Tribe Called Quest, Brand Nubian was helping to shape this lane in hip-hop. Cool, talented, and conscious. Out of that, that mental state of blindness, you know, and try to put something in their head positive so, they, so we can have a positive future. And it's at this point when it looks like everything is going right with Brand Nubian that things unravel. For the second time in just a few short years, Grand Pooba is going to have to move away from a group that he started. And this time, he goes out on his own to become a solo artist. What would that mean for Brand Nubia, the group he built? How would the world accept Grand Pooba as a solo artist? Coming up, Grand Pooba makes his solo debut and fights his way back to the charts. Plus, Mary J. Blige, Tommy Hilfiger, and a nearly botched Brand Nubian reunion. Stay tuned. Hip-hop in the 90s, it was incredible. It was groundbreaking. And let's be honest here, sometimes it was weird. Gold Rush is Stupid Fly Media's latest hip-hop podcast. Each week, your host, Sean Kantrowitz, that's me, will be uncovering a different topic from the golden era of hip-hop. Some of it will hold a special place in your heart. Some of it will be a subject you may have forgotten about. And some of it, well, some of it we're still looking back and wondering, how the hell did this happen? 
And we won't be going on this journey alone. Each episode features in-depth, brand new interviews with the artists, producers, eyewitnesses, and key behind-the-scenes players of the golden era, including Graham Poobah, Del the Funky Homo Sapien, DJ Evil D, Fatlip from the Far Side, Hank Shockley of the Bomb Squad, Young MC, David Faustino, Merce, and many more. We all have great memories about 90s hip-hop, but you've never heard a podcast that looks back at it like this. Gold Rush, coming February 7th. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and follow at Stupid Fly Media and at Hip Hop Gold Rush for more updates and exclusive content. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's 1991, and Brand Nubian's debut album, One For All, had picked up steam across the nation and became beloved by hip-hop fans far and wide. They even landed five mics in the Source magazine, which at the time was nearly impossible. I didn't expect nothing less because I've been doing this since I was like 13. And I had a name when I was in middle school on up. So by the time I got to doing the brand Nubian album, the One For All album, I just pretty much knew what I had to do and executed what I was trying to do and it worked to perfection, so. He knew that he had the recipe to set himself apart and garner all types of attention from the neighborhood to records, music videos, to live shows. And when it came to live shows, Brand Nubian delivered. We tore them all up. Like, it was like that energy was always the same at every show. Like, we just show a Run DMC at Syracuse University. At this point, Run DMC with Rev Run, DMC, and Jam Master J was already one of the most legendary hip-hop acts to date. They asked us to go on after them, but they knew we had the newest song. Like, we were more relevant at the time, and that kind of made, it's almost like they passed the torch to us, like. And then while we were performing, they were in the front row cheering us on, that shit was big, that meant a lot. Our peers at the time was kind of like De La, Tribe Called Quest, we was in the right river at the right time, you know what I'm saying? The love from fans, peers, and legends would validate what he already knew, that he could make a classic album and become a success in hip hop. This is where, things started to get a little crazy because when Brand Nubian started to blow up, we asked when we had it, started having our issues and I branched out and did my own thing. So they were doing shows without me, basically. I mean, they, you know, from what they tell me, it's kind of tough because people was expecting to see me, but um, I never, like, toured with them, but um, I had a problem with that because 
I didn't like doing promo shit. The label used to be like, hey, man, you got to promote your records. You want to sell your records? You got to go out there. I'm like, I'm a grown-ass man. I'm not going on the road in no funky van with a bunch of dudes with a $30-day per diem. When y'all getting $8 and $9, I'm getting a quarter. Y'all sitting in AC, but I got to perform the record, record the record, you know what I'm saying, promote the record, and I'm only getting a quarter. That shit ain't adding up. This separation made it obvious that it was time for him to branch out and pursue his solo career. He had set out to get Lord Jamar and Sadat X a record deal. He accomplished that and delivered a classic album. He would begin work on his debut album, Real to Real, but in the meantime, he made his solo presence known. Grand Pooba showed up on Yo! MTV Raps where he spoke about what was next for him as a solo artist. Now, you say you've been chilling, but you ain't been chilling because... You did something with P. Rock and C.L. Smooth, right? Oh, yeah, 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 that creative thing. I rock the world of a big chick girl. Won't hit the skins if she got a jerry curl. And when I jump into my thing, I make that bed spring sing. And you can ask my old thing, who's the bedroom king? Now, and you did the Strictly Business joint by yourself. Ali Berry, Strictly Business. Here I go with the new style, such a versatile child. Hunts crack a smile as a dancer's hit the child. General like custard, spread skins like mustard. Whoever try to copy, but they shit sound busted. And you've been working on your album, but what you do, tell them about what you did with Mary J. Blige, because that's the real flavor well, right I there. Did, I did two joints with Mary Blige. Uh, check the, um, check it out. That's uh-huh. on mine. Check it out, y'all. Check it, check it out. Check it out. Uh. You know, you know, I know. Uh-huh. Uber knows how to go. What's the 411? Hey, yo, what's the 411, hon? What's the 411, hon? I got it going on. Hey, yo, I got it going on. Will I be pooping on this year, the nigga from last year? Right, so you've been pretty busy for somebody who ain't been busy. Yeah, you know. Now, you want to tell us now why the, you ain't with the brand new videos, or you want to wait till after we go to this video and tell us? Yo, hit the video off and we be back. Like, I was always producing. I produced shit back in the days for MC Light. That was always my shit, creating, producing, production, and all that. Also, if I couldn't do it, I would get the best person, you know what I'm saying, or who fits my, what I like. His attention to creating quality music spoke for itself. His debut solo album, Real to Real, was released in 1992, and he released three singles. The aforementioned Check It Out featuring Mary J. Blige, You Know How It Goes, and 360. Hip-hop fans were loving Grand Pooba, and this was a moment in hip-hop history. Listen to this performance on In Living Color as an unknown Jennifer Lopez introduces him. One of the dopest MCs, Grand Pooba, performing 360, Grand Pooba had done it. He went from one successful endeavor to another and created another classic hip-hop album. His first record with Brand Nubian got the prestigious five-mic rating in the Source magazine, but this time... It was four and a half mics or four mics or some shit like that. I mean, that's a, shit should have been a five. They want to give it a five later after they understood it. You know what I'm saying? The welcome reception of Grand Pooba's album was one thing, but he was also being heralded for his style. The go-to luxury brand for hip-hop at the time was Polo. Boosters would grab bags full of the stuff and distribute it around neighborhoods all over the five boroughs. But while everyone was rocking Polo fits, Grand Pooba, the fashion trendsetter, was looking for something different. So I used to go to um, department stores like Macy's and all that, and I would um, look for Tommy Hill. Nobody was wearing that shit at the time. Coming up in the hood, like, you always wanted to be the freshest. You wanted shit that nobody had. Like, that would that made you stand out. Like, you know, oh, where'd you get that color from? Or would you, you know? So that was always in me, like, you know, that fly shit. So when I caught that, 
I started looking for his his um, clothes and shit. He would shout out Tommy Hilfiger on his verse on Mary J. Blige's What's the 411. I be pooper on this shit, the nigga from last year. Jabot's hanging back, he Tommy Hilfiger top gear. And then when they see me with the colors and the stripes, and oh, that shit fly. Then I ran into both of them, Andy Hilfiger and Tommy, and the baggage claim at, at uh, Kennedy and shit. Andy Hilfiger approached me like, hey, hey, Grand Pooper? I'm like, yeah, you know. He said, like, how you doing? My name is Andy. Andy Hilfiger. I was like, oh, okay. He said, this is my brother Tommy. I was like, oh, shit, all right, what's happening, yo? You know, ah, good, thank you, man. Tommy was like, yeah, come down to the office, man. Let's hang, you know, hang out, come get some clothes and do some press or whatever. Well, you got you. It went from there, you know? He was coming to the projects, bringing clothes and, like, pulling up in 600. From there, Tommy Hilfiger could be seen everywhere from music videos to city buses. Meanwhile, things were starting to change over at Electra Records. Dante had left after I did Real and Real. Enter Sylvia Rome, who became the chairman and CEO at Electra Records. She'd been there like almost a year, whatever, whatever. I'm just running around. I wasn't even thinking about making records. I was just, I still doing shows off for the, you know, I was just moving around. And um, I get a call from Sylvia. She's like, well, hello. Like, do you still make records? I was like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, why don't you come in? Like, you know. That's when I made the 2000 album. Grand Pooba's second solo album, 2000, was released on Electra Records in the summer of 1995. The first record I did, I think the release was I Like It. I hit a flow up, dipped in low, sit back and sit more as I count my dough. And then I did the one with Kid and Play, A Little of This. I got the gumptions to make your conjunction function. Despite being such a fixture in hip hop, Grand Pooba's album sales didn't reflect the success of similar acts on other labels. Electra Records at the time had developed a reputation among its former artists for not promoting albums properly. The fucking dude told me straight up, Bob Krasnow, the president of, they was like, yo, listen, <laughs> we're a boutique label. We're not like all the other majors. We're like a boutique. Like they, they told you like, we ain't selling, trying to sell zillions of records. I'm like, that shit was kind of weird, like, you know? And it was like everybody's record was stopping at the same point, like 480, like right before it hit the gold mark, like everybody was in the force. Like. Nevertheless, Grand Pooba now had a successful brand Nubian album and two successful solo albums under his belt. It had been seven years since Brand Nubian's debut album, and in that time, Lord Jamar and Sadat X carried the brand Nubian name for two more albums. I was doing a third album with Alexa Still and Sylvia, and um, we had a meeting one day. She was like, hey, you ever thought getting back together with the guys and shit? <laughs> this is some funny shit. And I was like, yeah, you know, sure, why not? You know what I mean? Like, she said, well, call him in. Let's have a meeting. You know, whatever, whatever, whatever. I called him. I said, yo, man, um, Sylvia's thinking about she want to do a brand new man's journey. You know, we set up the meeting. We get in the office. She's like, hi, guys. She said, hi, Jamal. How you doing? She said, when Sylvia came, they weren't on the lecture no more. So Sylvia accidentally called Jamal Sadat. She didn't know them. And then one of them said, I don't know which one, I don't remember which one it was. See, she don't even know our names. And Sylvia said, okay, guys, this meeting is over. And then get no further than that shit. So she was just dead right there. Like, So they leave. She's like, Pooba, can you come to my office? Can I talk to you for a minute? I was like, yeah, what's up? She was like... Who the fuck them niggas think they are coming up in my motherfucking up? Yo, she wild out on me. I'm like, yo, hold up. Who the fuck you talking to? No, I'm sorry, baby. I'm sorry. I'm just saying, 
Yo, I don't know who they think they're coming up. I'm like, yo, she spazzed out. So that was the end of that shit. <laughs> With Sylvia Rohn opting out at Electra, Grand Puba went back to making his album when he got a call from DJ Alamo who told him. He was like, yo, you know, Averson wants sign. You know, they want sign Brand Newman. What's good? So I'm like, damn, I'm still on Electra. I had to go to Sylvia and was like, yo, you know. Um, he went to Sylvia Rohn to request a release from his deal so that he could go record an album with Brand Newbie. You do what you gotta do. You, you know, just be whatever. You know, she let me out to go do the record with um, Brand Newbie and Aristotle. That was dope shit, like. So we, you know, that's when we got into we, the uh, Foundation album. Grand Puba would ultimately release five solo albums and four albums with Brand Newbie. His image and lyrical content would become the blueprint for many MCs for decades to come. And Brand Nubian success would also cement Lord Jamar and Sadat X as certified hip-hop legends. From the start, Grand Puba knew that the key to his success was going to be everything that was already in him. Elevation of consciousness and the urge to be fly while doing it. I used the swaggy part of me as the magnetic to attract. Then I brought the conscious side as well, you know what I mean? So, like... That's why kids in Harlem and everybody, all the fly cats, all the gangsters was listening to our, like everybody was listening to our stuff because it was fly shit as well as conscious shit. You know what I mean? And that was like, that was the balance. Fresh Era is a stupid fly production, written and edited by me, Craig Smith, and polished by the one and only DJ Cheap Shot. Chris Barnett puts the fresh in Fresh Era. Sean Berman is our mix engineer. Art designed by Michael Bonanno. Music by The Math Club. Additional reporting by William Ketchum. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, CastBox, or wherever you listen. Follow us on social media at Stupid Fly Media and at Fresh Era Podcast. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 